0: We just got a donation for a Sealbox microphone fund. Hey, Whiskey thanks, Whiskey <laughs> Look Nose. At that.
1: Appreciate it. It That's will go right. to good use. We will send him a USB uh, cable right from Amazon right after this, and an instruction manual. <laughs> 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 This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, it's Bourbon Community Roundtable number 67, and we're joined by our good friends Brian from Sippin' Corn, Nick from Breaking Bourbon, and Blake from Sealbox and Bourboner. So, a few weeks ago on This Week in Bourbon, we talked about Barton 1792 closing their doors indefinitely for tours. But now, It's time for us to speculate. Was this because Sazerac feels that they can't make it stand up to the current standard that people expect? Or was it a way to put all their eggs into turning the distillery into a workhorse for its brands? The Virginia ABC has now moved to a randomized system for their allocated bourbon releases. We examine what they got right and what they got wrong. And lastly, we know that people are starting to build their own bourbon bars. But what's something that you need for your bourbon bar that is essential but it's not bourbon. With that, enjoy this week's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char.
0: I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Ed Morris, who writes on fredminnick.com, what is the origin of the wristwatch driver's side crotch shot to brag about successful bourbon hunt? Well, Ed, I never thought I'd be talking about crotch shots here, on uh, bourbon pursuit, but here we are, obviously, uh, the crotch shotting has, uh, has reached capacity for, for many of us in the bourbon social media groups. And I've, uh, taken a moment to try and gather some history of, of the crotch shot. And really it comes down to around 2010 to 2012. Someone got really excited about, uh, about a bottle they scored at liquor barn and put it right up on their left thigh, and took a picture. And somebody says, well, I got a bigger bottle than that. And then they did it. And it just kind of caught wildfire. And I would say that the watch, the watch angle came in uh, far later, maybe 2016. Sadly, most of the groups that were crotch shot dominant are no longer in existence. Facebook uh, purged them. But you can still find crotch shots uh, in the archives of places like Bourboner. so if you go to Bourboner and like explore the crotch shots from like, you know, 2014 to 16, you know, knock yourself out. But it's a, it's a phenomenon of just showing off. And also people are spontaneous. People want to, uh, show off right away. And it's a pretty, you just get in the car, you put the bottle in your lap, take a picture. Boom. I think that, It probably happened pretty natural, and then it started being staged, and, um, you know, I was never a fan of the crotch shot photos, but I also was not someone who was, like, reporting them to the admin, kind of complaining all the time. It just, it's the nature of the internet. You know, crotch shots are the duck lips of bourbon, and duck lips are everywhere in the selfie world. But that's going to do it for this week, folks. If you want to be like Ed Morris, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. And let me know your idea. If I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers.
1: Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof and the flavoring green for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite. welcome everybody another episode of bourbon pursuit this is bourbon community roundtable number 68 the whole gang is here tonight so i've got myself fred and ryan gentlemen how are we doing going up into derby week here coming up soon
0: i know it's so good to be here i'm ready to go play the ponies
3: yes it's two weeks of celebration for two minutes of horse racing i love it do you have a particular way that you bet i mean do you have
1: some sort of two dollar try boxes
3: every time (laughs) just try boxes so you (laughs) try to go big and hopefully you hit big but twelve dollars a race and you know if you win you win if not it's twelve dollars How about you fred do you have a gambling
1: sort of a way you read the program or
0: yeah i i do but i also have um a a very good friend who's um who's a pro his name's ellis star and he's like the handicapper for a ton of like blood sport and like keeneland he's a he's a brilliant handicapper did you see blood s- sport uh
1: like, yeah like john claude van damme blood blood sport is that what we're talking uh
0: about? I th- i'm pretty sure blood sports the i can't remember the name of the magazine i think it's blood sport Oh, yeah. okay. It's like talking about their bloodlines and stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I thought we were talking some good old Jean-Claude Van Damme. I mean, that is a great Spartan. movie, that's by a, the way. That's a sweet movie. Hey,
0: did you ever see the Amazon Prime movie where it was Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, had his own, like, thing, and, like, he was traveling back in time, communicating to himself? You know? No, I must have missed that one. It was oh. that was
1: that before or after Lionheart? I couldn't remember.
0: No, this is, like, 2016. It was, like, one of a, Amazon Prime's very first, like, uh, featured series it flopped, but if you were a Jean Claude Van Dam fan, you had to see it. Yeah, you know? Cecil's out on Van Dam. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so uh, I I'll follow his picks, but I also like um, I will bet almost exclusively on speed, and uh, you know that'll be the number that's you know one of the numbers in the columns that's uh, bolded. Uh, I'll always go with a horse that's got really great closing speed.
1: Yeah. It's a, probably smart to pick the horse that runs the fastest. That's the well,
3: it's it a solid it's long long it solid is. guess right there <laughs> on yeah, the it, ones.
0: it depends, it, de- it depends on the race. It also depends on what they go up against and of course you got to go by the trainer and all that. And if you don't look at the horses in the paddock, you can hurt yourself cuz you know there's little things of
3: you know that you can see with the horses. So I always like Jill's picks. I'm like, Jill knows what she's doing. She always gets on before every race and gives her picks at the track. She's got three out of the four favorites in there. (laughs) So you can't go wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what, so my dad always had a thing that if you go to the track and you bet $20 on the favorite on every single race, you're probably going to come out ahead at the end of the day. It's not Mm. the most exciting way to do it, but you're probably going to come out ahead. The other option is do what our friend Brian from Sipit Corn does. And you go to the paddock and figure out which horse takes the dump last and that's gonna be the lightest one,
2: so it's gonna be really swift on its feet. So, but
1: let's go ahead and we'll introduce everybody. So, Brian, I'll let you go first.
2: That's exactly right. I was gonna say that. I'm glad you did. That is the best way to bet. But this is Brian with Sipping Corn. Find me online at socials at Sipping Corn and Bourbon Justice. And my bet is is probably more lame than yours, Ryan. It's it's three three horse exacta box. So I'm mm, totally safe play, totally hedging. But you're right. I pick three horses, but I do it only go for two in the in in the winter so it's not exciting but I I do tend to come out ahead yeah that's smart. So thanks thanks for having me guys yeah that's I wish I
1: I do a lot of the the three horse exacted boxes but I usually never win I always try to you grab like a favorite but you don't want to grab a 5 to 1 with it you want to grab something that's like a 10 to 20 or something like that because that's what's going to pay off
2: that's the temptation is get that payoff mhm i know nick what about you. You 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 come to Kentucky
1: quite often. Are you a big horse gambling racing kind of person?
4: You know, I used to uh so Nick with Breaking Bourbon here, I used to live in Saratoga Springs. So oh, we would yes. we would go quite a bit. I lived walking distance from the track and we would just go set up camp there, bring the cooler, bring chairs. Um yeah, tended to do kind of the same thing you guys did. You know, there'd be days when you kind of studied the horses. You as Fred was talking about, you go look at them, you kind of get a sense of who's moving a little bit more freely, you know, who seems kind of uh, nimble that day. But then I'll be honest with you, a lot of times we kind of just pick based on the name that I like. If they kind of look like they're in the range of the odds that makes sense and the payoff's going to be good. You know, why not root for a horse with a cool name? You know, so that, that tends to be sometimes uh, the way I go with that, too. But uh, yeah. kind of just depends on the day, depends on the crowd that I'm with, that sort of thing. It is a bunch of animals running in a circle, so it's, <laughs> it's like, don't overthink it. <laughs> Very true. Very Sometimes true. Sometimes that's it, man. You had a few <laughs> drinks in you. I like that name. I'm I'm betting on you, you know? <laughs> Sounds good. Now I'm going to steal this one off of and We'll go
1: to the guy over here that basically picks a horse that's based on any reference to bourbon. That's Blake from Sealbox. How are you, bud?
5: <laughs> Doing well. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Always fun to be on. Um, I don't have much good, you know, you usually don't go to the guy from Florida for your horse betting advice. So I won't try to jump in and act like I know what I'm talking about. Uh typically all my bets happen on the golf course. So um uh, but a, there's a few no. tracks in Florida though, aren't there?
0: The yeah, Florida Fall, Derby more, more is, is yeah, I was uh, gonna say. the Florida Derby is like where many great horses, like Big Brown won and came and won the Derby. I mean, that is that's like one of that's the major North races Florida. going into the Derby. That's,
5: not, that's <laughs> South Florida. I don't know where that is. <laughs> they got the, no, the
3: Greyhounds uh, uh, up in North Florida. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
5: made that illegal too. We, get, we got rid of that. Yeah. Um, but no, Blake from Bourbon or Sealbox. Always fun to be here. Um, you know, celebrate my thirteenth wedding anniversary tonight. So, uh, a big round table for sure. Um, we actually celebrated this weekend, which is why I'm here tonight. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I would have had to miss. It. But no, yeah, always fun to be here. Thanks, guys.
1: Well, all our best to Danielle then. So, tell her thank you so much and letting us celebrate your thirteenth wedding anniversary. Exactly. I feel, Not many wives
5: like would like uh, is... be be okay with that. But uh... <laughs> I might get
3: her a USB cable for her birthday <laughs> next year. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
1: All right. So let's kind of dive in with our first topic. So the first one is it's some news that popped around, I think, two weeks ago. And this was the news that came out on Barton 1792 social media. And they had said that they are going to indefinitely start shutting down tours. And I believe they're going to be shut down at the end of this month, at the end of April. So if you had tours, you're still good. But they said, you know, after this, we're we're going to kind of shut it down. And that, that kind of got us thinking a little bit, because this is what we do best around here. We speculate. We don't really know the whole reason behind it, but we love to speculate and figure out exactly what what was the reason? Like, why did they really shut this down? And I know that we had some talk in our back end sort of Twitter chat that we all have within this group and thinking that, well, maybe it's just too industrial, that, that they don't want to put in money to fork over what it's going to be into a uh, what people expect out of a visitor experience, or maybe it's just they said, maybe we just can't make it happen. But I kind of want to go to you all. Let's let's kind of start throwing some theories around and and figure out. Do you feel that we're losing a big staple? I know Fred. We we we've got another big podcast coming out soon with Danny Kahn. Or actually, we just had one come out with Danny Kahn, and we kind of talked about it. you. We all have a you know, he's got a lot of history about what's going on there, and you know, Barton is one of those iconic distilleries that's been around for a very long time. And it's going to be disappointing for a lot of people that are getting into bourbon that want to know more about, you know, you just don't want to go see the super uber modern refinished ones, but you want to see what a yeah. you know, workhorse looks like. And and you're not going to get that experience anymore.
0: Yeah. And you know, the thing is, Barton at its core in the in the 20th century became a it became a basically a source whiskey supplier. You know, in the 1960s, they Oscar Gets, uh, for whom the Oscar Gets whiskey museum is named after, and Bardstown ran that distillery in, and they did uh, they supplied people with source whiskey. That's that was their their duty. That's what one of the how they made their money. They had Barton, of course, and a couple other brands, but that was chiefly how they made their money, and that continued to be the case and today it's a it's a white label brand uh it's a white label maker so they they supply the whiskey for uh for Kirkland which is Costco for Kroger which is Stonehammer for Total Wine which is you know uh Wellcott and a few others they they do a they supply a lot of of people with with product and that is their mission and you know Sazerac is you know they're 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 changing they're changing a lot of strategies there's kind of like a you know a change in leadership in a lot of places within their parent company and i think it's it's pretty common to see a a decision like this being made and as much as people want to see this i think it's the best thing for the distillery because i've been there many times uh, they did their best they they put on good tours but it was never never at the level, never had the facilities, uh, never knocking on the door of, of Buffalo Trace or some of the others. And and while it is sad to see it no longer be offered because you know it gives insiders a little bit of a sneak peek into some things, it, the fact is they're going to be able to put their resources to where that distillery makes its money. That's what it comes down to.
1: Yeah, and you're right. I mean, there's something that... Also, keep in mind that Barton and buffalo trace they don't charge for tours they were all gratis people could come just whenever they want so it was kind of interesting to kind of see them take this turn but do you all think that they did this in regards of they just can't create a visitor experience and that would just be too much to refinish to kind of live up to the standard that maybe that they're trying to trying to do
5: yeah i I mean i think to me it's like The enthusiast is really losing something here to really get that behind the scenes look at it. And and for better or worse, we're just getting more of like the Disney World aspects of a distillery. It's like, you know, this beautiful, it's you walk through, it's air conditioned, you kind of see a barrel, you kind of see a still. Um, where that wasn't the experience at 1792, and you can still get a little bit of that with Buffalo Trace. I'm not going to, uh, you know, take that away from them, but it's, it's much more just user visitor friendly experience now. And I think that's what they realized they weren't going to have that at Barton. So, you know, that's not the foot they wanted to put forward, but for us who, you know, we've been on enough tours, we've watched enough video screens of how bourbon is made in like a little tasting room. That was the fun part of it. Um So I think you kind of lose a little something, but I see why they do it. You know, it's just not, it's not as kind of that polished finish as they would probably like most of their visitors to come and get so
3: i mean before they bought the other gift shop there was like what 10 parking spots you know for for guests to come in and then then they shifted they bought that old maxine's restaurant and made that the early times gift shop and then they would like truck you over like follow the leader or something i don't know over to the other gift shop to do a tour but uh yeah i think it's just never set up for tours and i just it's like where, how can you improve this? And I don't think you can. And, uh, it does suck. Cause you, it, it is a fascinating tour. And especially when you go around the property and you see how many warehouses, and then you see like all, not just like the Rick houses, but the, the palletized warehouses where they keep like all the brandy, where they do contract bottling for like absolute and all these other brands. Um, you know, there, it's a huge contract facility for not just bourbon, but for a, plethora of other brands but um I do think it was too I think you know they had that one incident where a tank bursted and I, I I think there was a lawsuit um that was just settled from that and it was pretty costly and so uh yeah I think it's just you know I think that's our their factory distillery and they're like let's just keep it that way and it's sad but I, I understand it cuz it it always was kind of just like an awkward <laughs> you know it never was like felt like you were going to a, a tour it was more just like a a factory i guess
5: it's like watch your head
3: on the rotary girder <laughs> right
5: there yeah i
1: mean there was a
3: lot of places
2: to uh for potential injuries you know for for guests you know but yeah it, it was never going to be the idyllic place that so many other distilleries are but i'm waiting for someone to talk about ridgewood reserve i mean they they tried it they they've been trying this since whenever that was the late 90s when they had the legendary Ridgewood still and trying to launch the 1792 brand it uh it just never took and I I, despite all that and despite the fun that I think you can poke at them for this it's a smart decision and it's actually good to see them make the decision instead of trying to make it into something it's not I mean it's it's a factory that can pump out the white label and do the other contract bottling and kudos to them to to acknowledge that
3: I was gonna say because It did seem like they were kind of like trying to push, you know, the different varieties of 1792. And then you have these excellent finishes from the Thomas Moore line, you know, with Danny and all that. And like they were really trying to like make a more elevated brand for Barton, you know, the 1792. And I I guess that's what's kind of confusing is because they were like trying to push that and push more premiumization of it. But they're I don't know. maybe This kind of says that they're maybe not going to be doing that. I don't know.
1: You do have something there, but there was also another great comment that, uh, let me pull it up real quick, that uh, Tony B, or sorry, Ryan Walls actually had here and kind of talked about how, you know, they purchased early times Bottled and Bond from Brown Foreman, brought that over into the fold, and this was going to be the, if you remember their old visitor center was at the top of the hill up there at Ryan, what was the place that they revamped and made the early times? vaccine Restaurant, yeah. Exactly, and so now maybe that's just been abandoned altogether because I, I don't know if they're actually going to have anything for the early times, bottle of bond. They know they had the stickers on the window and everything like that, but who knows if that's really, if they want to attract people to that or if it's just something that they said, all right, well, we'll just go ahead and scrap this and put to the side now.
3: And it's sad too, because early in times I feel like it's just like lost momentum ever since it got purchased by Sazerac. Like it's just really like, pump the brakes on it you know they really haven't done much to like promote it and whatnot sorry nick Uh, it's okay i was gonna say uh, you know i think the
4: interesting question is what's gonna happen with the brands are they gonna to some extent abandon the the brands and you know do you look at 1792 and think of that as a really strong brand thomas moore just went through tasting and reviewing those um you know, they're kind of hit or miss. They've, they've really kind of been hit or miss. And that asked the question of, you know, with all the uh, opportunity with expanding visitor centers and the tourism aspect and things like that, it's interesting to see, you know, in kind of today's marketplace of what's happening with bourbon, them taking the total opposite kind of track on that. And maybe they're just seeing a lot more opportunity in that contract distiller you know, space. And they're saying, let's just go all in on that. And our our brands are keep, they'll keep plugging along. They do what they do. We'll keep putting them out and selling them, but we've got a lot more opportunity in this other space right now, which kind of seems like there is, I mean, you're seeing Bardstown, you know, get into that, you know, you're seeing so much demand from these, um, you know, smaller companies that are able to really market and connect with the consumer. And they're saying, Hey, we, we want to be there and, and, put our efforts into growing that it's really, it's kind of an interesting and almost surprising uh, decision and direction that they went with here.
0: Yeah. If you look at it from like where the marketplace is right now and Kenny and Ryan know this all too well, the the amount of money that's that brokers are charging for barrels is ridiculous. And there's barrels, there's not a lot of uh, access to barrels that have Kentucky straight bourbon on it. And what what uh, Barton has been able to supply, you know, you got to look at where that, where the wholesale market is. And there's got to be a lot of profitability there uh, uh, from what they have in the warehouse versus the profitability they can get from a 1792, which has never taken off. It's a fine brand. It's excellent, but it has never. And I think a lot of it is the bottle shape, to be honest with you, those kinds of bottles, you know, Somewhat piss bartenders off because they take up too much room. I agree. I
3: hate that. But with the wide bottle shape.
0: Yeah, I'm not a fan. And uh I, I just I think there is an amazing there's an amazing opportunity for someone with well aged stocks to just take advantage of everybody uh, who wants to get in the game. Because in in what is it? Probably about three or four years. All the investment barrels that are two to four years old. They're going to go on the market, and everyone's going to be like, "Well, that's nice. Everyone's got that." I want six to eight year old bourbon, uh, and then there's going to be Barton saying, "Well, hello there. We got you right here. Come on over."
5: That that is an interesting point. Like, you know, at one point or at what point does one of the bigger guys say, "Hey, we're going to sell off some stock"? We, we've seen Barton do it. We've seen some older stuff pop up, but I think that's more investor. But they would be primed for that. To just be contract bottling, contact track distillation. You know, we're seeing others getting pushed out or just fully at capacity. Uh, you know, as Sazerac kind of read the writing on the wall of like, k hey, 1792 is not going to be Buffalo Trace. So let's take a step back. We're in the money making business. How can we make the most money most efficiently?
1: Yep. And just to, to my point earlier is that tours and everything were free, they weren't really charging for them. And everybody that you have to staff. The entire place uh that's all overhead, right? I mean it's not like they're making money on it uh, It's nice to sell a few posters and some candles inside the gift shop, but that's not going to go ahead and offset the cost of what it's you know the the hourly wage that they're paying for
4: these people to to staff the visitor center either
5: tough to make money on free, yeah,
4: <laughs> did anyone think with the warehouse collapse? do you think there's any element of we've got a danger here? I mean, is that think that weighed heavily into the decision of that or? Just say, no, not really. They they wouldn't have employees going into those spaces if they really thought that was the case.
1: The latter point. And, and I think that it's one of those things that it happens once you learn your lesson. And as soon as that happens, I'm sure it was all hands on deck. Every single warehouse had, they had gone tip top shape. Make sure that you're, you know, crossing your T's, dotting your I's. The plumb bobs are straight in every single one of them now. If they weren't, if they weren't then, I guarantee you they are now. And I think it was just probably a, a way to look at it with uh, just as we kind of just said, as Blake said, they're they're in here to make money. Like, where are they going to increase the profitability? Are they able to take the visitor center that they had redone, turn it into extra office spaces that people can use that are going to be there on property? They don't have to sit there, and you know, they have a they they can work there closer, something like that. I have a feeling that that's the way that they looked at it, and it was just a sacrifice to say we're doing. What do you think they do? Maybe. 10 to 15% of what actual Buffalo Trace does in in regards to tourism per year. So they probably didn't look at it and say, this is what we need to do to establish brand loyalty to get people behind it because the amount of bottles that are on the shelves are continuing to grow. And so they don't need a a destination to be able to kind of latch onto that consumer. They're already a pretty decent household name when it comes to to whiskey in general. And so they can probably just rest a little bit on their loyals there and, and kind of focus on ways to just grow the business in general.
3: Well, just to back up, you're, you know, you're talking about contract distillation and the, the prices that the source market is getting right now, they are they would come out way ahead on then bottling it as 1792 or VOB, you know, at, say they're selling for three, you know, $2,500, $3,000 a barrel on the low end, you know, that's, a, and they're not having to pay excess tax on that, you know, the person, whoever's bottling that is, so they don't have bottling fees, no excess tax you know, I think it's like a no brainer, you know, they can make a lot more money on the contract distillation side.
0: I'll throw one out there. That's going to definitely going to be on the tinfoil conspiracy bourbon hat. Um, and that is, you know, uh, Barton's, you know, could very well jump into taking on supply distillation of Blanton's. Uh, it could start taking on some of the other things, for buffalo trace and you know transported over into those warehouses barton did that for it does it for abram so i i think like uh there could be something else there could be another strategy here it could be like an extension to improve supply and their entire portfolio and they would be well within their legal rights to do so brown foreman does that with uh, the Shively distillery, you know, supplanting uh, whiskey into the Woodford line from Louisville. So I, I would say there there could be another little angle here. It's a little conspiracy, but I thought I'd throw it at you.
2: It only has or- to rest inside warehouse age for one day to become plants. Is that what it is? <laughs> That's right. It's, it's there on the day that it gets rolled out. But there are, you're right, Fred. There are a lot of freaking warehouses up on the hill, uh, up on that new property massive massive warehouses and i know buffalo trace has some just insane capacity but you need even more than that i mean that's that's how many warehouses they're putting up so
4: fred in that in that conspiracy theory is is the theory um position that they would not want visitors in order to hide some of these things going on or more just ramp up production to be able to do so
0: I don't think they would necessarily be hiding it. It's just it, it's a matter of because you know they're not going to be bottling Blanton's there. There's that would never happen. The the Blanton's line is set up a Buffalo Trace. There's there's no question that would be moved in my opinion. Just I for think, the tourists though, but for the oh, masses.
5: Oh. <laughs> now we're talking conspiracy theory.
0: Get out there, tin tinfoil cap. <laughs> I, yeah, I I think I I think that uh, it would just be like you know, tankered and moved, I mean, who knows, who knows, but uh, if I, if I'm to put my conspiracy hat on, I, I would say that, uh, you know, uh, Barton has a good opportunity to, you know, to supply some, some liquid for, uh, for some warehouses for, for Buffalo trace and they could be barreled there and put out there into warehouses and so forth. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. And that it's within their, it would be within their rights to do that. And by the way, I would even argue that up to about eight years old, I'd probably prefer Barton, some of the Barton <laughs> products over yeah, Buffalo Trace. I agree with
3: you. So it might be an upgrade. I want to know about early times, because it seems like ever since Sazerac acquired early times, everything I thought they would do with early times, they're doing it with Benchmark which makes no sense to me. <laughs> but it's like, I'm trying to understand that. Does anybody have any insight on that? I think when you when you look at any time of acquisition, anything in general,
1: it usually takes years for this to happen in any sort of like large organization. You acquire a company and you've got to get rid of the branding. you got to integrate teams. you got to do this sort of stuff to kind of look a little harmonious. And when you think about in whiskey years, it probably goes on even longer. So everything what they're still bottling right now is, probably all brown foreman stock. Who knows if they've shipped barrels if they're just still bottling over there and it's just, you know, trading hands. I would think that we still have a little bit longer to kind of see that that pendulum swing the other way. That's just what I I feel.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I don't see uh them dumping early times or or like degrading it uh, at all. You know, the, the one thing that Buffalo Trace does not do or Sazerac does not do is they do not degrade bourbon brands you know they'll they'll put a giant turd in a flavored whiskey all day long but they will not do it to a heritage bourbon brand they at least respect that and benchmark may not be my favorite uh but a lot of people like it
3: there you go got your got your answer there cecil thanks guys i feel better <laughs> yeah, well that early times will be back one day yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll wait
1: somebody's gonna email us on monday and be like ah you guys got it all wrong
0: oh i'm sure this entire conversation will get us a few emails <laughs> yes
1: all right, so let's go on to the next one. Everybody's favorite topic, talking about allocation. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's point of sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning twenty-four-seven help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a one-dollar-per-month trial period at shopifycom bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopifycom bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. shopifycom bourbon. All right, so let's go on to the next one. Everybody's favorite topic, talking about allocation. And this one was kind of made a little bit more pronounced. It actually started on a Reddit thread, and Jim Varell over at Pace Magazine kind of dug up some more interesting tidbits and kind of talked about it. Because for around three to four weeks, there were no allocated bourbons that were being in stores at any of the 400 ABC stores in Virginia. We're talking just Blanton's, Weller, Henry McKenna, Eagleware, You name it, just the regular run of the mill sort of stuff that is now considered allocated. But now the Virginia ABC has announced a new and confusing yet randomized new system for the sale of allocated bourbons. So this is what the Virginia ABC put out there. And they said to provide all customers with the greatest opportunity to purchase high demand, limited supply products, ABC will announce the store locations where limited availability products are available to purchase during store hours on any given day of the week. By randomly deciding where and when to offer these products for purchase, but they are going to limit the opportunities for individuals or groups to line up outside of stores for extended hours or seek information that gives them an unfair advantage. Therefore, they're going to enable these purchases so they don't get purchased ahead of times, uh, sorry, ahead from other customers. So to make these highly sought after spirits available to as many customers as possible, in-store purchases will be restricted to one bottle per customer per day from all the limited availability products offered at any location. And they know that customers in all regions of the Commonwealth want an equal opportunity to get these highly sought after spirits. And they also know that these individuals who stood to benefit from obtaining the locations of these products ahead of time, they were using that information unfairly unfairly to mobilize and purchase items before their customers. So by randomly deciding where and when to offer these products for purchase, they will limit the possibilities for individuals or groups to abuse them. So what Jim said is that what we essentially have here is a system where customers will basically never know when any of these products might be available, And the new system will be entirely dependent upon social media announcements from Virginia's ABC's Spirited Virginia Pages. But it might be even a little more cloudy. The Spirited Virginia Social Media Pages will instead apparently announce that allocated spirits are being sold in general at various locations without actually confirming what any of those products are. So consumers will actually have to race to that location in order to find out what product or products are being sold there or sometimes even call the store. But the first fail actually came out this past week. So Spirited Virginia posted that apparently it went out and people went out and scurried and all of a sudden, what do you think happened? Well, there actually weren't products at the stores. And so they said, we are aware that some of the stores listed as authorized to sell limited products did not have the products in stock. We apologize for the misimpression created by our early communications and their next drop message will only contain stores having both inventory available and that are authorized to sell. So, What we have here is another example of a control state that is getting into figuring out how to deal with allocated bourbon. We know that Pennsylvania has been doing it for a while, doing these random drops on Wednesdays that used to happen online. Sometimes it was on Thursdays. I don't know whatever it was. Uh, Ohio is kind of a a crapshoot. They usually just have their online lottery where you're one of 400 million people that can go and enter the online lottery. Good luck. This one is trying to do something completely different. Taking everything that is what we considered a shelf item at one time, consider now allocated, distributing out, but doing it on a way that the only way that you're able to know about it is that you have to pay attention to the social media pages and you just have to run out and scurry out at the exact moment. And this is to kind of get people away from lining up outside in front of stores and stuff like that, which I can totally see, totally agree and, and see if like that, because I'm sure there was the same people that were there over and over and over again. I kind of want to put it to you all. What do you think they're doing right? Or what do you think they're doing wrong in this situation?
4: Yeah, so, you know, I, I will control states to start with. I think we probably can all agree that would don't want control states. It seems to not be the best solution in any event whatsoever. But what I've always thought would be the perfect scenario, or I guess as perfect as you could possibly get, is if a store took their allocation and just randomly put a bottle out, let's say they had 52 bottles people wanted once a week, one goes on shelf. It's randomly there for a customer who happens to stumble onto it. Employees don't you know, buy it themselves. They don't tell their friends, whatever. It's maybe an impossible scenario. So I think what they're doing right is they're trying to move towards that idea of pay attention to the stores, be involved, watch social media, you know, <laughs> Stop by more frequently. You might just happen to be there when something gets dropped, you know, to that extent. I think they're moving in the right direction there. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be problems. You know, I think I saw uh, on their Facebook page, there was a comment of a lot of the stores were close by. So someone was able to go from store to store to store and buy a lot of the bottles themselves potentially. So I don't think it's ever going to be perfect. They're probably going to look at this a year from now and completely do something different, but is it a step maybe in the right direction? Do I like it better than a lottery? I think so because it at least gets people kind of actively involved to some extent and actively, you know, paying attention to the retailer, even though it's a control state retailer.
0: Is there any right way to handle this? I mean, you know, Nick brings up probably the best possible solution and that's just to randomly drop bottles, uh, and then liquor barn does that, and they take pictures, and everyone gets pissed off about that. It, there's no way to win here. There's no way. I mean, there's a there's a liquor store I know of. They get their allocation. They call up five people. Those five people come in and buy it in bulk, and then they go around and flip it. And now, are they are they a part of the process that we all hate? Absolutely. But they don't. Ha- those retailers don't have to deal with that enormous mess of people being pissed off at them all the time. They can just go on selling vodka at nine in the morning and Maker's Mark at noon. Uh, I just don't think that there's, there's any good way to handle all this allocation stuff. The control states, the one problem that they have is that they have to report everything. Imagine all the private liquor stores across... We're, we're sitting here judging Virginia And we often judge Pennsylvania, which I make fun of Pennsylvania very frequently for how they always lose a bottle every year. And they, you know, put a press release out about it. But, you know, there's tons of private liquor stores that don't tell us anything about what they do. And I I just don't know if there's a way to win here. And I feel bad for anybody who came up with this and now they feel like shit. And if they're watching this. There's nothing you can do. It would, no matter how it went, you were still going to feel like shit because there's no way to win here.
1: This is pretty equivalent to what you had said with Liquor Barn, though, of, of just kind of randomly putting something out. If somebody goes and they find it mm-hmm. and th- you would think that, OK, you can't maybe you can do that, but maybe not at a, at a government controlled level. So I can I can try to advocate for them and say, yes, they're trying to do something where they're trying to make it more fair for as many people as possible. I feel that the one thing that they're probably missing here is that You have, it's easy to do with one store, but to try to coordinate this with 400 stores around the state to know that, oh yeah, these 22 stores have Henry McKenna today and you're not actually telling people what it is. They just have to, I think there was actually somebody in the chat that that said on here, Eddie Ahmed, he actually just said, I arrived at the Saturday to Virginia ABC that had quote unquote limited, limited inventory. I ended up waiting for Buffalo Trace and Blantons, but you don't even know what the inventory is. So you just just go with some random hope. I don't know. For me, I would want to know exactly what. Pick a door, I'm, right? That's pick yeah, a door. Yeah. I want to know what
0: I'm waiting for. I I think that's that's fair. Uh that's that's a fair uh complaint there. I mean, I would definitely want to know too, but you know, they they're they're looking at it from like, you know, so they're a government entity. They're looking at it. They're probably trying to prevent loitering. Probably trying to prevent uh, some of the situations we had in downtown Louisville, you know. And I don't know if there's a if there's a worse situation than we've seen than, than with Old Forster at their own distillery. Uh, when we talk about this particular issue, but I don't know. I, I you know we talk about this a lot, and I just don't know if there's ever a, a winning way to do it. And we, you talked about liquor barn. Liquor Barn, you know, set on the largest, you know, collection of Pappy for a long time. They would hold lotteries and people would just leave, kicking and screaming, all pissed off. And and so they moved to where they are now, and now Liquor Barn's a part of GoPuff and that stash of Pappy will be in the GoPuff system. So, I,
5: I think, you know, everybody kind of hit the nail on the head there where it's, it's just a lose-lose situation just because it's there's probably one bottle to a thousand people who want it. But, you know, the only other thing that really came to mind was like, they're going to get sued really quick. It's going to be like a Domino's pizza situation whenever they had the 30 minute guaranteed delivery. And then they were getting in wrecks and like running people off the road to make sure they hit the 30 minutes. Like when does that uh, pop up where it's like, you know, some guy tries to sue the, Virginia ABC because he got hit by a car from somebody flying in for a bottle of Blanton's into the parking lot or something.
0: Um, But I I, love the
2: way you think, Blake. Brian's (laughs) making that
0: case right now. So if anyone uh, go ahead and put your
2: advertisement in here right now,
5: you know, because I don't know what the legal, but but you're incentivizing people to, you know, throw everything aside. And I get it if you work a job and it's like, so you're going to do this at 2 p.m. and I can't rush over there. So there just is no way. Um, the only, uh, I mean, I think it's a fair, it's a fair enough way for what they've done here. Um, the only other way I think is, is a pretty good solution is you hold in-store lotteries. So you, you announce it, but, but I know that's caused a lot of problems in the past too. So, um, but yeah, that, that's kind of my only thoughts on it and we'll, we'll see what happens from there.
4: So I'll tell you this, the, the real way to win is honestly not to go after these limited releases. Like there's something you need to get a speeding ticket or get in an accident for. I I think once you get into bourbon deep enough, you realize that that's the case. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to tell, you know, thousands of people that, but you guys are right. I mean, there's there's no winning here when you have something that you have limited supply and a lot of demand, no matter what they do, it's not going to work out. And I think you could get into a case where if it's statewide, you know, and you're creating this fervor, I know local stores that do that here in New York, but I'd be hard pressed to think that somebody can make a case against a local store posting on their Facebook page that something's available. I mean, that would be pretty hard. But, um, you know, a whole state doing that, I mean, I could see where you you could get into an issue where, you know, you did have some situations that could arise and the whole state is like, you know, pressing this issue and doing that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think no matter what they do, it's people aren't going to be happy with it. They're going to be changing it in a year or two from now and constantly trying to evolve to it, um, I think the idea in New York where you have individual stores and each one kind of does their own thing, you get a nice mishmash of everything. So sometimes you have an opportunity here or an opportunity there. Other times you don't. I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's the situation I kind of like the most because it's imperfect, but there's a lot of variation with it. Where when you have a whole state, it's just you're in this state. This is what you get. And oh, by the way, people from out of state can buy too. So it's not like it's even limited to just Residents of that state, anybody can go and buy there. So if you notice that on their FAQ, um, so they could be selling, uh, you know, kind of unlike PA that does a lottery and it's in-state only, I believe they could be selling to somebody out of state as well.
3: I think I saw Fred was in Virginia over the weekend. I was was in
0: Virginia over the weekend. (laughs) Um, Yes, I won't say what I was doing there, but uh, (laughs) no, I was there for a private event. It's all good. He's camping out for Blanton's. It Listen, it was everywhere. Henry McKenna. I heard Henry <laughs> McKenna was at the store in Percival.
2: so that's where I was. And you, and you went there. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's got to change with the consumer. I mean, the the reality is, it's going to be totally messed up so long as people want to clamor for Buffalo Trace. I mean, that's just insanity. So, I mean, put that on the banner. I mean, go buy a Russell's Reserve Tenure. Go get a a uh, nineteen twenty from. Old Forester, get any of those things. Just help yourselves first. Well, I, I don't think you're going to be able to change consumer
1: perception and consumer demand right away. If everybody that drink bourbon listen to this podcast, yes, we would collectively be able to change the lives of, of all the bourbon drinkers out there. But, you know, we have we have our, our bourbon diehards that are the listeners of these, the people that are on the chat right now, our communities that everybody surrounds us with. And those are the people that they get it. Like they're not the ones standing in line at at 6 a.m. waiting for a bottle of Buffalo Trace. Those are the ones that they've kind of figured out what's sort of the next stage. The one thing I do want to say here, though, is that I want to just give a hats off to the Virginia ABC for doing one thing. And that's probably just listening to the consumer and listening to their, you know, the people of the Commonwealth, because the only reason they probably did this is because there were so many complaints of probably the same. Probably hundred people clearing out stores for years, and now they they finally started listening and said, "We'll try to figure out a better system to appease the most people as possible." So you got to just at least give them a little bit of credit there that they they saw an opportunity to go and fix a problem, or at least attempt to try to do something different instead of keeping the status quo. As Fred said at the very top of this, you're not going to be able to please everybody, and any any system that you do make is always going to Leave somebody out. However, they're trying to do something that at least tries to get in the hands of the more people that that are out there. So I will give that to them. Any other kind of thoughts before we? Wrap
0: I'll, up? I'll I'll add to that. um You know, kudos them for trying to do something. But these are the entities that are keeping us from having national shipping. And you know, it's kind of like it comes up every now and then on this show, but the. You know, if if Virginia really wanted to take care of their consumers, they would allow other states to be able to ship to them. Instead, they are focused on their revenue for their state, and they're doing the best they can. And if anyone from Virginia, ABC is listening or watching, you can do both. You would make your state very happy, and you would still have plenty of revenue Somebody shipping from Rhode Island or Boise, Idaho will not impact your sales whatsoever, but you will have a legal bottle in your state and a very happy consumer that will probably come into your store for something else. So that's my last word.
2: No revenue.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But happy consumer.
1: Figure out some way to make everybody happy. uh, Cheers to Fred. Yeah, hopefully everybody kind of gets on on board with that one as well. So I wanted to have one last question, kind of a fun one to to throw to the group, only because I looked at it and I said, you know, we've we get these questions all the time. And there's plenty of YouTube channels, other podcasts, blogs out there that they go, oh, like what are the best bourbons to kind of start your home bar with? And I started looking at this and I think, well, what are the cool things that people now that we've we all have our home bars and they're probably overflowing with bourbon, now that we have amassed too much bourbon, and we were to tell somebody starting a their own bourbon bar in their basement, what is one essential item that you need that isn't bourbon? I'll make it. I'll make it easy on you. I'll, I'll break the ice here. So when I started doing, uh, I started getting a lot of bottles. I always had the idea that I want to keep a little bit of something that may be special. Maybe it is. Uh, I, I know I actually have some samples from like the bad Elmer T. Lee batch because it had like the cork taint. And I said, just to make sure that I'm, you know, years from now, I'm not crazy, but I still think that if you get yourself, you know, a, you know, 50 to 100 two ounce Amber sample bottles. And so at the end of a bottle, instead of you want to cash it out, but you want to save it, you want to save that just the last two ounces for something, just put it in a little Amber bottle, stash it somewhere and then before you know it you've got 30 or 40 of them you can go back a few years later and you go oh, okay i remember this bottle now this is a pick that i did this was the last of uh, van winkle 12 year that i opened up with my dad it was something right so i, I uh, that was one thing that that i kind of pulled away of of knowing that i could keep a little something sentimental to it what about you all
5: so for going non bottle i mean i think you need good glasses you know I, there's decanter good glasses all that kind of stuff i'd say you know just find a empty bottle of a really expensive bottle like pappy or something like that and just pour cheap bourbon in there and tell your friends you're pouring them something really nice every time and you know they'll never know the difference and afterwards you can tell them like oh yeah you you thought you knew a lot but that was that was actually you, you know that was barton that i put in there and uh
0: <laughs> classic no, I think, that's the I think tr- good- that's the true poor man's pappy right there.
5: That's the that's the real one. That's the real one.
3: <laughs> I thought you were going to say a highlighter. You know, in the you know in the pappy bottle. <laughs> oh, You're yeah, put it yeah. on your on your wall at the very top for when you have house parties.
2: Do
5: that too. Do that too. I, I think the key to a home bar is just have a lot. That's uh, nobody's ever disappointed if there's a lot of options. So, you know, keep buying more bottles, everyone. <laughs>
4: So so the right answer isn't line your bar with Buffalo Trace. I just I thought that was the right
3: answer. It's, <laughs> that's it's that's never second, the answer. second best answer.
0: But Kenny, wasn't your question non bourbon, non bottles? You <laughs> Yeah, want to I was know, confused
3: by this question.
0: Wh- wh- what do you want to know here? Because, uh, you know, Blake's dropping bourbon. Now it's open
1: ended. Now it's open ended. Okay. So let's let's say it's just like not. One of the like, oh, you, know, you got to get, you know, one of these five bottles. You got to have a Blanton's, you got to have a Four Roses, you got to have, no, not any of that. Like, what's something that's ancillary? Maybe, a, maybe it's a different kind of liqueur. Maybe it's your favorite kind of bitter vermouth. Maybe it's okay. Okay. Maybe it's two ounce sample bottles. Like, I don't know. Now, like, what do you think?
0: I, I, uh, I'm a big, big fan of dehydrated citrus. And, uh, CR citrus is a place where you can, where you can, uh, where you can buy it and like, it's already done for you, but I have a dehydrator as well. And I'll dehydrate. You know, you can dehydrate your own citrus, but what I like to do, like there's the analytical tasting and then there's just your feet up, just kind of relaxing where I can enjoy the whiskey and not necessarily have to think, uh, what I'm tasting. I just, I'm enjoying it and I'm not having to break it down there's two different mindsets. I like to, I like to get in one of those nice, large cubes. So I think like having, um, having something that will, you know, mold your ice is very nice. You know, we both have that big giant friggin press that weighs a thousand pounds and will smash it into a nice little ball. You know, Kenny, you went viral with that. And then I I these take- hands are famous. They are, they are famous. Uh, that's not the only reason. You're on a few websites with those. <laughs> we don't uh, talk
1: about those ones. That's <laughs> those are the secret paychecks that come in.
0: Those, uh, those are another time too. Uh, <laughs> you you fold the you fold the, um, the the citrus around the big ice cube, and you pour the whiskey over it, and it's it's an amazing experience. Like I'm not a big bourbon cocktail guy. I'm not. I'm not. I, I love rum cocktails. But there's only a couple bourbon cocktails I really like. And, um, but I do like to have a little citrus, uh, and some ice with, with the whiskey in terms of like what bourbon to get look stock up on like Russell's reserve, 10 year old rare breed knob Creek. Um, I mean, there's a lot of products that you don't have to spend a lot of money on that, you know, drink some of the $200 bottles under the table. That's just my opinion. Yeah, pursue United. But, that's what to say. You United,
1: know. you
2: can get a no, tail box. You know, thirty some odd states. Just go there. You know, clear them out. Fred, I'm with you on the citrus, and so I grabbed my bitters. For people who don't haven't haven't tried to make your old fashioned yourself, and you've just used the syrup. I mean, really, one whiff of these bitters, and it's just it's fantastic. So work on your on your bitter game for your bar. And then if you're going to be making a bourbon cocktail, uh, branch out, you know, don't just do the old fashioned or the Manhattan. Um, uh, none of these are paid promotions, but ginger goes so well with, uh, with bourbon. Try this. Um, it's not going in focus, but try this ginger flavored liqueur. Domaine de Canton
1: um, is what he's, he's holding up right there. Yeah. I haven't old, held the
2: Canton. It's, it's, and now I'm out of focus. There it goes. And it's just, it, it, it Gives such a nice um, kind of color to the bourbon that uh, you got to use that. So bitters and ginger liqueur. I'm actually a big fan of that
1: Domaine de Canton in a gold rush. You can kind of substitute and add a little bit of that. It's actually a great little cocktail there.
4: I kind of thought of this question in a different way. So, you know, as you're thinking about home bars, I see a lot of posts online about people building bars in their basement or an extra room in their house, you know, things like that. And, uh, for, for those listening, when I was joking about Buffalo trace earlier, do not line your, your shelves with Buffalo trace. That was obviously sarcastic. Um, but, uh, you know, I think lighting, uh, if you're building a bar, you're, you're building out a room, a space, you know, I'd say the one thing that you definitely want to pay attention to and think about if it's a space you're going to be hanging out in is, is lighting, um, you know I did some things with lighting, and you know, I have lights uh, on the shelving uh behind me. I have some other lighting. you know I actually have a chandelier that I made out of uh, barrel staves hanging above the computer. I'm kind of tucked in the corner here, but definitely getting that kind of feel with lighting and what you can do with that makes a a big difference so as you're thinking about what do I kind of want the room to feel like that we're you know, we're in where this bar is going to be that I'm building. I think kind of the ambiance with bourbon is, is something you think about anyone that, you know, has enough bourbon in their house that they actually have like a dedicated space for it. You get to the point where you think about kind of details like that. And you think about, who is it that I'm going to be sharing this with and hanging out with? And you start thinking about little details like that. So certainly do not uh, skimp on lighting. Spend the extra money because whatever you do when you do the build out, that's what you're doing. You're probably not going to change it for a while. So do that. Spend the extra money on that when you, uh, when you make that improvement to your house or your bourbon. I bar.
3: like that. Lighting's important. Very and important. double your square footage on shelf space. Triple triple <laughs> i uh, always go always go like two to three hundred percent on that for sure as with everything i always have i have two things i want to <laughs> have on my additions to my bourbon one would be a really nice country ham or something on a stand that you can do like, <laughs> like a like ben's ham or something because it just goes perfectly now, with
5: the, now we're uh, talking that's yeah
3: or get the Costco prosciutto Serrano ham or hamon on or whatever you, the fancy people say. My second thing is really cheap. You can get like a 200 of these for like 10 bucks is a graduated cylinder in milliliters. And you can start playing with blending different whiskeys, um, you know, with the uh, stuff on your bar. And so you can kind of blend uh, a high rye mash bill with a, low rye mash bill or a weeded bourbon with a this and that. And you can just kind of play around. Uh, that's a graduated cylinder and, you know, hundred MLS or 50 MLS is always fun to just kind of play with different mash bills and see how they interact with each other and
0: whatnot. Ryan, you're, you're a really good blender and I'm, I'm not just saying that, but is that, but is that how you got your start? Did yeah. You, even did. before you were in the business, like you, you would use a graduated cylinder. I did. Yeah. That's, it's a strong prop game
3: too. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I know I have them laying around everywhere and it's like <laughs> our mad scientist over here. Yeah. No, it's fun though. Blake, did you have one? Yeah. He said the happy with the highlighter.
5: I had a, <laughs> a joke a little bit uh, about that one, but no, I would agree with that kind of the same thing. And it's taken, you know, more of a, um, I feel like a shtick at this point, but like the decanter where you drop things in, it's kind of the same idea of the
3: a- affinity bottle. Yeah.
5: I mean, I, I didn't want to call it the infinity decanter, but you can do your own blending there. So, you know, maybe you don't do a true infinity, but you do three to four bottles. I, I you know, I used to do the bourboner house blend where I think it, I did Angel's Envy and um, something else. And, and it was actually a really good blend, but I, I think that's kind of the fun stuff. Give somebody, somebody something unique and different to try when they come by. So having your own house blend in a decanter, I think is always a cool route to go.
1: But you've also taken it a step further because not only do you have the house blend, you got a house barrel. You start dumping stuff in now, right? I do.
5: I do have the house barrel. That's that's like the uh, the the seal box uh, sample barrel. Um, so I didn't realize how many of the small bottles I have from just over the years of stuff, and started dumping a lot into that. And there's probably a good you know twenty liters of of whiskey in this thing at this point. So yeah, if you're buying a bunch, I think that's a good way to go.
1: Yeah. See, we don't do infinity bottles anymore. We do
3: infinity barrels. That's how it works.
5: <laughs> they step that game up. It's, uh... yeah, that's
3: when you've made it past the Buffalo Trace chasing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
5: All
1: right. Well, that's good. I'm good. I think we gave some people some, some good information, some things to start thinking about if they're thinking about their build out and stuff like that. But we had a lot of good topics to bring up today as well. Talking about 1792, talking about Virginia, ABC. I think those are two really good hot topics, but I want to say thanks again, guys, for coming on the show today. We'll let us or let you all kind of help close us out and we'll go the way we first started. So, Brian, go ahead and lead us out here.
2: Yeah, that's that's fun. This is fun uh, topics again, man. You come up with the good ones. I got to help you out one of these days. But Brian with Sipping yeah. Corn, keep me on all the socials at uh, Sipping Corn and online at bourbonjustice.com. Thanks. Got it, Nick
4: guys fun as always uh nick with breaking bourbon breaking com, uh at breaking bourbon everywhere on social uh fun chat guys as always let's i'd love having your soft silky voice come and bless us on these round tables after
1: hours
2: it's coming up with nick <laughs> you need to do some uh barry white intro music next time we have nick on <laughs> and blake uh,
5: yeah i'm blake from uh Sealbox and uh bourboner Less on the bourboner these days, but you know, always fun. Street continues even on the iPhone. So, thank you all for having me. Uh, it's been a good time.
1: Perfect. With that, I want to say thanks, guys. This has been fun. We'll be back here in another month with another roundtable, but a lot more of just podcasts and blogs and bottles that can be shipped your way from all these guys around here. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next time.